0: So we will attempt to cover chapters 20 and 21, mostly because I'm going to presume that chapter 20 is going to be very brief. So chapter 20 um, moves into the last section of the book, facility and meditation. And, and there's just, just really just like four points that I'd like to point to mention. And then if there's anything that you guys want to say, but first point, again, because God's more important in the whole thing, At the end of the day, one who practices will improve. One who attempts to pray will pray better. And um, as long as there's a sincere attempt and you're moving in the right direction, if you pray more, you'll pray better. And if you pray, there will be improvement. The author says very clearly and and well, when there's any single element in this outline that that we've gotten from this book is no longer necessary, um, then it can be omitted right? And it's just important to stick with the essential goal um, of this conversation with Christ. So the general principle to be applied here is, only those elements of meditation are to be employed which are immediately necessary for drawing one into conversation with our Lord. Um, and in some ways, the, the next chapter, in, in a certain sense, is also about that same, same thing. Um and so the goal is contact with Christ, the affections are moved towards God. If that happens immediately, the goal has been immediately reached and there's no need for other steps. So that's basically the, the thing. The other thing that I would just, that I sort of just scribbled in my margin here is expect to struggle, right? Um, so facility doesn't mean a, a, a lack of, of difficulty. And, and somebody who if I mentioned the name, you all would know who the person was Who is this like, great master of prayer that I, I, I spoke to a, a while ago. Just on the day I was talking to him, just said, you know what? I had a really like rough prayer time this morning. Okay. Right. Like, so that's, that's life like for everybody, presumably. And so we should never, and somebody else just the other day, who I respect tremendously said to me, you know, like, it's not over until you're dead, you know, like in the sense that even people who are, have entered into mystical prayer in the unitive way, the enemy is always going to take a shot at them. There's always going to be some sort of struggle. Um, and so we, we just need to have that expectation as well, those of us who are lingering in some of the lower mansions of the spiritual life, so to say. Um, so that's basically what I have to say about that. But the, the positive point of the chapter is if you do this and you persevere, there will be fruit. Any other comments or questions about chapter 20 in particular? Great. So I was right about that. That was pretty quick. Let's look at chapter 21 now. It has this, this seductive title, right? Because we all want to be advanced. We all want to move someplace and feel like we're improving and, and getting better. And there's something true and good about the whole thing. So advanced mental prayer. And there's, there's significant books written on the theme of like contemplation, contemplative prayer, in the Carmelite sense, and so the author here is just basically saying, you know, it just can be helpful for somebody to know that often in the spiritual life, here is a way that things progress, but here, here's the thing, guys, it's not always the case, right, it's, and, and so I find it fascinating, there, there's a, an author I've mentioned before, Dom John Chapman, I find his name difficult to say altogether, but Ndam John Chapman. Say that 10 times fast. I couldn't. But anyways, he has a book, Spiritual Letters, which I don't think we have here. It's in the library in Honduras. And he writes, and he just, so he just has tons of experience directing religious sisters. He said, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes you meet people and it seems like they've never prayed except in a contemplative way in their entire life. And there's other people that show tremendous signs of holiness that still meditate, just like they did 30 years ago. So uh, this, is, this is a general outline, but it's not... There can be a great deal of variety in practice. But many people experience something like this. I just... Sometimes... Yeah, yeah. So it's helpful to hear this because I, talk, I was talking to somebody once Uh, who I was directing on a retreat. And um, they were experiencing like major contemplation and had no idea what was going on and just thought things were falling apart. I was like, well, why don't you just read this and this? And they came back. They're like, that's my prayer life. I was like, well, that's what John of the cross says about mystical contemplation. Okay. So anyways, (laughs) here we go. Um, That's not most of us probably. So So the author here, right, makes the distinction between meditation, the book is about, and then mystical contemplation, and then there's this sort of middle thing that he's going to talk, that he talks about, of acquired contemplation, or there's different titles given to it. And that's kind of what we want to look at, you know, here, because the reality is, is, you know, many of you have grabbed books on contemplative prayer and have read stuff about it already, uh, hopefully helpful. Um... But at some point, if if somebody's moving into that prayer more, they can read more about it. But the important stuff is just to have some sense of if stuff happens in this direction, that, you know, things aren't getting worse, which is often what people think, um, and that God's moving in a certain direction, and, and you need to know how to respond appropriately. And this is one of the great maybe contributions to St. John of the Cross is that he he sort of helps to identify certain experiences in prayer that seem like they indicate things are going more poorly, and he says, well, in these cases, it actually is a sign that things are going better and better, right? So, the idea of acquired contemplation is that it has some contempl- some characteristics of both meditation and mystical contemplation. So, Um, the general outline that spiritual authors give is right. Somebody meditates for a while. And then at some point there starts to be, they have a facility in meditation, like in chapter 20. And then at some point things start to shift and it seems like it can seem like things are going poorly, right? that it just becomes more and more difficult to meditate. And so, because I found the translation uh, that this author uses of John of the Cross so unwieldy, I I just went and looked it up myself now. So this is from The Living Flame of Love, um, and it's on page 129 of, of your book. So this is what John of the Cross is talking about. So he's outlining, which is interesting, in The Living Flame of Love, so this is like his most elevated work on prayer, this poem. And uh, he takes this break in the middle of it to go on this, this sort of, uh, uh, this diatribe against bad spiritual directors. It's actually a little bit scary when you're a spiritual director and a little bit humorous because he's just like, he goes off. Like he's just calling everybody out, like everybody. He's very, very upset. And because uh, he's like, these guys are messing all these people's prayer lives up. They don't know what they're doing. It would be so much better. He says, if you don't know what's going on in the soul of your directee, leave them alone. They'll do better with just them and God. Yeah. Um, but so he, he wants, he's just outlining uh, here. So there's the beginner stage when you practice meditation. This is uh, paragraph or part 32 of stanza three. Then when when somebody has started to be weaned off of the things of the earth and they start to be more and more inclined in their affections towards God, God starts to wean the soul off of spiritual consoling experiences in prayer and it can become more arid. So he's talking about the sensory part, which is like the, the part of the emotions and such of, this, of the person, is left in dryness because its riches are transferred to the spirit, which does not pertain to the senses. The soul cannot function naturally except by means of the senses, emotions, five senses, memory, imagination. It is God who in this state is the agent. The soul is the receiver. That's the key. The soul conducts itself only as the receiver and as one in whom something is being done. God is the giver and the one who works in it. By acquiring spiritual goods in contemplation, which is knowledge and love together—that is, loving knowledge—without the soul's natural acts and discursive reflections, for it can no longer engage in these acts as before. So, John of the Cross, this is what I—this is the way I would sort of describe it. And again, you will—you will now get some of my stick figures on this piece of paper. Um, so. Here, here you are. You know, there's, there's your, your head, your body, and um, let's say this is, this is your, this is your heart, your spiritual soul, and so in meditation, what I would understand is that God sort of offers something, but it's indirectly to the intellect or to the imagination. He touches it in some way, although not he, your imagination cannot, or your memory, cannot receive God directly because God is purely a spirit. And then through this meditation or whatever, it sort of goes down into your heart. Mm -hmm. At some point, uh, what God starts to do is he bypasses your natural understanding, and he just goes straight for your heart. And this is what I would say, just in a very simple way, is contemplation is where he bypasses a certain part of you and allows himself to be directly come in contact with your spiritual soul meaning your spiritual intellect so not your thinking understanding like two plus two equals four and i could understand blah blah, blah 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 but the we'll talk about the parts of the human person later but in any case the 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 purely spiritual part of the intellect that gets understanding in an intuitive way and not in a reasoning or a thought out way, and then the the will, and so what John of the Cross says and what these authors other authors state is in contemplation, God becomes the principal agent, and you have less and less to do in prayer. Now practically what that feels like is sometimes everything's falling apart. For some people, it doesn't feel this way. For some people, it's just this natural thing and it's all very nice. And so when John of the Cross talks about the dark night of the scent, the passive night of the senses, some people don't experience it as a very dark thing at all. If they have some sense of what's going on, it can be quite nice. But because infused contemplation, the reason that John of the Cross calls it a dark night and says this is going to be painful is because if you're used to having these beautiful meditations where you have all kinds of thoughts that are very consoling and sort of overwhelming, and then that becomes impossible, that can be difficult. But the reality is, is it becomes impossible because God's starting to communicate himself to you in a deeper, different way. And so, and so that's the thing. So what John of the cross says is, if God starts to communicate himself to you in this way, on its part, the soul simply uh, lovingly should lovingly fix its attention upon God without specific acts, meaning without like trying to come up with things to meditate on or, or particular words or things like that. Let it occupy itself in loving attention quite simply as one who opens his eyes and fixes them upon a beloved object. And so, for people who haven't experienced this, it can seem rather difficult to understand. For people who are starting to experience it, it might make some sense. Um, and so, the, the signs, which, again, I, I, the danger in this whole chapter, and the danger of this whole thing, and the danger of teaching stages in the spiritual life, and all of this different stuff that everybody does is that we start to focus too much on ourselves, and we start to poke around and go, well, I wonder where I am in this whole thing. Well, I must be in the third mansion. Well, no, because I don't have that thing, so maybe I'm only in the second mansion, but then I do have that, so I must be in the fourth. Stop, because what's happening is you're just focusing on yourself, and the whole point of prayer is to focus on God, ultimately, right? And so, so I'm giving you all this information, but we just need to realize that we need to be very careful and not, because if you're just sitting there in prayer and going, okay, I wonder if today I'll start to contemplate. Okay, let's see. Okay, well, I'll start to meditate. Okay, here we go. Oh, was that it? Maybe that's a little bit of dryness. Ooh, you know, like, oh, this might, like, you're going to kill your prayer. You're going to kill your prayer. Um, And so John of the Cross says, here are the three signs to look for and these are not original to John of the Cross. He borrowed them from somebody else, but he must like them because he repeats them a great deal in, his, in different places in his writings. So he says, you can't meditate. Now, what does this mean? Okay. What it means is, when you, however, like, so you use your imagination or when you're doing sort of a Lectio Divina thing, like when you're using your thinking mind... To ask those questions or to consider things or whatever that no longer feels like prayer. Like, you'll always, except in some rare circumstances, like I've met people who, like, they go to pray and, like, they're done. Like, that's it. Like, they sit down and they can't do anything. Most people don't have that powerful of an experience of God sort of like taking them, right? Most days, most people. Have nothing like that, right? We're just we're a cup of coffee, and maybe some sort of thought will happen in our head. But so there will always you'll always be able to go into prayer and think about stuff. But when he says you can't meditate, it's that thinking that used to help you to come into this contact with God no longer helps you in that same way, right? And so um, there's this there's a lack of a sense of God's presence in doing the same thing now. So that's one thing. And again, it has to be over a period of time because everybody can have a bad day, right? Even people, presumably in the unitive way. Um, So number one, you can't meditate, meaning that. Number two, you're disinclined, meaning what? You know, like, there may be days that you're disinclined to be in the novitiate, right? But that's, that's, but that's not what we're talking about. I mean, but if that's over an extended period of time, well, then that might be a vocational crisis and we need to look at it. But it means that somebody has less and less of a desire. So not only do they not have a capacity to sort of meditate in the same way, but they have less of a desire to do that, and they have more of a desire just to sit with God, right? Right. Um, so the desire, so so the capacity shifts that's the first sign the desire shifts second sign disinclined and then kind of this third thing is connects with it it's a desire to sit alone in loving awareness of god which is what john of the cross talks about right in this in this quotation loving attention quite simply is one who opens his eyes and fixes them upon a beloved object and so John of the Cross describes this kind of prayer as a holy idleness. Somebody else I know talks about wasting time with God, where the person just has this desire like I just want to I just love to just sit in God's presence and do nothing. But I'm but it but it's when I do that, that's when I experience in some way, although I can't say anything about it being close to him. Right? What do, you, what do you mean? Well, I don't know, right? But I just, have that, I just know he's with me when I'm there in this place. So it can be very hard for people to talk about this. Um, but those are the sorts of things that, you, that may start to happen when somebody's shifting. Now, some, some clear things. The first thing is, this is a gift, right? And so if God never gives it to you, don't freak out. You could still be a saint, right? It's it. It's not an issue. And it seems like some people are more inclined towards it than others. <laughs> the same Dom, John Chapman. Uh, maybe I mentioned this too already. I apologize if I did. But he said, you know, there's some people who who are, seem to like can really like are strong contemplatives. Like that's how they always pray, but they actually live quite disedifying lives as sisters. He's like, I'm not sure what to make of this, right? He's just like, I just noticed this. Um, so anyways, poor things. But, um, but so there shouldn't be any sense of like, I need to achieve this someday. There's no achieving this. It's just a matter of, does God want to relate to you in this way or not? That's the question, right? And so, ultimately, the union of wills is the important thing. And if God wants to bring that about in you in some way, keeping you in a, without this obvious sort of move to, towards contemplation, presumably he could do that. Um, so, let's see. There was something else I wanted to mention about that. God needs to be one who brings it to us. I'm more and more struck by how much this this idea connects with St. Francis of Assisi's experience of of God. And particularly, again, I've just been really uh, just taken with St. Francis of Assisi and the Holy Spirit recently, and just looking at his writings and looking at his life, it seems more and more clear to me that Francis had an extremely clear idea that the whole goal was to let God do everything in you, that the Holy Spirit, right? So what is to be desired above all else is to have the spirit of the Lord and his holy operation to pray always to him with a clean heart, right? So St. Francis realized like the Holy Spirit needs to be the, the, the one that operates, that acts in me completely always. That's basically what this is saying, is in contemplative prayer, it's God who's praying in you. And it may not be what you think it's going to look like. And what it was for Saint Francis, we don't know, because he doesn't tell us about his experience interiorly of prayer in the same way that John of Cross, Teresa of Avila, like all these others do. But it seems to me, brothers, that very much Francis is going to encourage us in the same direction, but without these same kind of guidelines of, you know, sort of contemplation, letting go of images, letting go of sort of words and stuff like that. But the goal is the same, which is that God would do all in us. And first and foremost, that usually for most people happens in prayer itself, right, in prayer itself, is where I'm able to. Father Wilfred Stinnison has a great sort of thing on this, where he talks about, I mean, so ultimately it's that God would, would just work in us all the time, but it's, it's in prayer where we often can let go a little bit more and let him start to do that. And that's what I would understand contemplation to be. That's a little bit my own understanding, but I think it's beautiful because it does line up with Francis, and it does line up with, with some of these other things. Um. But insofar as the sort of the more technical thing of contemplation, those are the signs. That's how I understand it to be working. And the things that I would just reiterate as like cautions are, one, don't be too worried about where you are, right? Um, Because that can really be a detriment because it moves us straight out of any humility that we might have, Right. Um, and we can see, like, if you want to know what it looks like when somebody's really doing this beautifully, that's what Francis talks about in that admonition. We know someone has the spirit of the Lord when, when some good is done through him, that his flesh doesn't exalt at all. Like the person doesn't think anything better of themselves. That's a person who's really got it, who realizes that God has everything, you know? And so the, um, so that would, be, that would be important. And then just this big focus on self is the uh, too worried about where you are, putting in too much, uh, the wrong effort. Like, again, as I said, you can't make yourself a contemplative. It's a gift. And so if we, if we make an effort at a certain attempt at this, um... It can really—you got to make sure that you're you're trying to move into prayer in the right way, because otherwise, God's—you're just tying God's hands in a sense. And then the third thing is which all is sort of revolves around, which is a focus on the self. Right? If I'm focused on myself, um, we're missing the whole point of prayer in the first place, basically. So that's pretty much what I would say. Oh, yeah, I guess this is also worth it. Uh, Just one last thing from the chapter like, a person who is beginning to experience contemplation will still be able to meditate at times normally. Again, there's no, I know somebody who there was no particular signs of anything happening in this way, really. Then there was like one moment, and then it was just like contemplative prayer. So, But typically, there's sort of a time when sometimes they meditate, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they meditate, sometimes they don't. And so you just need to become more and more sensitized to how God's approaching you. Um, And again, this may not apply to any of you right now. It might apply to some of you in some ways. Um, But it's just good to have in the back of your mind as you continue forward, just in case... That's pretty much what I have with that. Um, any questions, comments? Striking insights. Great makes it simple. So that I'm not going to say anything about chapter 22. So that'll be the, um, that'll be the conclusion of that. And next class, we'll do something different. And I'll let you know what that is at some point.